If we don't make room for the Spirit, we have pushed God out of the room. That's right. We're continuing Luke's gospel this morning. We're continuing. This is week 32 through Luke's gospel. Leonard Ravenhill says this. We're going to talk about praying this morning. The title of the sermon this morning is Knocking at Midnight. Anybody knock at midnight? Anybody ever knock at midnight? I'm ready. Let's do this, right? Leonard Ravenhill, an English evangelist who challenged the church to hunger and thirst for revival, to hunger and thirst for revival through prayer, puts it like this. You guys can, can sit down, except for I might want some organs, Jared. Um, I'm serious. I'm, I'm ready to go. There's nothing more transfiguring than prayer. People would also often ask Leonard Ravenhill, why do you insist on prayer so much? The answer is simple, because Jesus insisted on prayer. Leonard Ravenhill says you could change the gospel of, the title of the gospel of Luke to the gospel of prayer. It's the prayer life of Jesus. When other evangelists and other writers say Jesus was in the Jordan and the Spirit descended on him, Luke says it was while he was praying that the Spirit descended on him. When other evangelists say that Jesus chose 12 disciples, Luke says that it was after he spent a night in prayer that he chose 12 disciples. Other evangelists say that when Jesus died on the cross, Luke said that even when he was dying, Jesus was in prayer. For those who were persecuting him, Jesus was in prayer. When the other evangelists said they say that Jesus went on a mountain and he was transfigured, Luke says that it was while Jesus was praying that he was transfigured. There's nothing more transfiguring. There's nothing more transformational. There's nothing that changes us more than time with God spent in prayer. So the disciples, they see Jesus. They live with Jesus for three years. They saw his miracles. They heard his teachings. They watched his life. And of all the questions that they had and could have had for Jesus, they could have said, Jesus, teach us to do miracles. They could have said, Jesus, teach us to speak with power and authority. They could have said, Jesus, teach us to understand the, the parables and the riddles. And of all the things they could have asked Jesus, they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Perhaps the disciples understood that miracles happen because of Jesus' prayer life. Perhaps they understood his power came from his communion with the Father. Perhaps they realized that it was when Jesus prayed that something was different. Perhaps they recognized, church, that the priority that Jesus placed on prayer changed and transformed and transfigured Jesus. They wanted spiritual instruction, and they saw in Jesus a man of prayer. They knew that John had taught his disciples to pray. They wanted Jesus to teach them to pray. There was something different in Jesus. I mean, they could pray, but they realized and recognized that the way Jesus prayed was different. The way Jesus prayed changed things. The way Jesus prayed changed him. The way Jesus prayed was different. He modeled prayer because he lived prayer. He understood the power and importance of communion, of fellowship, of time with his heavenly father. So in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through we see Jesus begin to teach them on prayer. If you got your Bible, you can look that up, Luke chapter 11. I think it will be on the screen. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4 says this. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your 
us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we for, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. So the disciples of the new church, these disciples were hungry for whatever Jesus had. They were seeking spiritual knowledge. They came to Jesus to speak one of the most important and profound and wise requests in all of scripture. They tell Jesus and seek Jesus. They teach us to pray. Discipleship isn't merely head knowledge, thank you. Christian faith isn't merely head knowledge. True theology isn't merely head knowledge. There's deeper knowledge. C.S. Lewis, Lewis calls it, I've mentioned this before, C.S. Lewis calls it deep magic, right? It's a knowledge that goes beyond understanding. It's a knowledge of the ancient truth of God. The psalmist David, he wrote this in Psalm 42, verse 7. He says, deep calls to deep in the roar has swept over me. There is a spiritual knowledge that only comes from spending time in the Spirit with the Father through Jesus. There is spiritual knowledge that makes fools wise. There is spiritual knowledge that makes the sick whole. There is spiritual knowledge that makes sinners saints. There is spiritual knowledge that makes the dead alive. There is spiritual knowledge that makes a heart of stone become a heart of flesh. There is a spiritual knowledge that makes the old gone and brings the new in. There is a spiritual knowledge that makes the doubters doubt and the faith arise in us. There's a spiritual knowledge that makes paupers kings and sons and daughters priests. There is a spiritual knowledge that makes the weak strong, the tired renewed, the broken whole, the empty filled, the bound free, the cursed blessed, the naked clothed, the, the confused complete, the oppressed overcoming, the, the depressed joyful, the, the demonized delivered, the, the abused emboldened, the downtrodden and spiritual knowledge that changes situations and perspectives and people. There is a spiritual knowledge that transforms minds, renews spirits, and heals hearts. There is a deep spiritual knowledge that only comes through prayer. Organ. That's it. That's the, that's the wrong organ. That's the Adams family organ. So we might need to know. We might not need an organ.
history had done, Jesus had that power and that authority, and they wanted some of this spirit knowledge. And they knew Jesus had it, and they knew Jesus had it because Jesus was a man of prayer. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. It's the model prayer, the Lord's prayer. And it's also recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9, 13, and that's where we're going to read the, read the passage from this morning. He says, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's unpack this for a second, this spiritual knowledge of prayer. First is this, our Father in heaven, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, our Father in heaven, God is our Father. We are his children. Jesus taught us to understand divine relationship. In Christ Jesus, we are sons and daughters of God, adopted by the Spirit, and by the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. There is divine relationship through the Spirit. Jesus is the Father, the, God is the Father, and through Jesus we get to know him. And Jesus would later tell us, and we'll get there, that if we as earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does the heavenly Father know how to give good gifts, the Holy Spirit, to his children? Second, hallowed or holy is your name, right? God is holy. So if you're writing down, God is holy. Hallowed be your name. He alone, what does that mean? It means he is other. He, there is no one like our God. That's what holy means. It means other. Nothing is like him. No one is like him. There is nothing, no one, nobody, no person, nothing created that is like our God. And God is the only uncreated being. There is no one like him. He is holy. When you talk about the holiness of God, you're talking about how he is exalted, how he is high, how he is worthy, how there is nothing else, no one else like our God. Holy, 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 no one else like our God. He alone is worthy of worship and praise and then your kingdom come. There is a kingdom outside of our reality that we long for. The fact that we the fact that we don't find satisfaction in this world is, as C.S. Lewis says, is, is proof that we are created for another kingdom. We seek his kingdom, your kingdom come, God. We want your kingdom, Father, a kingdom of love and mercy and peace and justice and righteousness. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would invade us. Let your kingdom So as we seek this spiritual knowledge, we begin to desire God's will to be done. We recognize that his will is perfect because he is perfect. We recognize that his will is not the norm in our present reality, but God, we want your will to be the norm in our reality. We want your will to be what we seek. We want your will to be, to be revealed in us. We want your will to be shown and demonstrated. We want to live out your will in this world. Your kingdom come. as it is in heaven. 
In heaven, church, God's will is never thwarted. God's will is never rebuked. God's will is never stopped. But in this creation, God has given us the ability to reject, to rebel against his perfect will. But our prayer is, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I do not want to reject your will. I do not want to rebel against your will. I do not your will to be thwarted in this world. I want your will and your kingdom now in our lives. God, crush, crush the rebel in my heart. Crush the rebellion in my heart. Make my heart your home. Make my earth like your heaven. And let it begin now. Then he says, give us our daily bread. You're writing that down. So provide for us and teach us to depend on you. Listen, God has provision for you today. God has provision for you today. Just like he fed the Hebrews in the wilderness with daily manna and forced them to depend on him daily, so also he teaches us to depend on him daily and he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. I mentioned the offering need. He is trustworthy. He says, forgive us as we forgive. Jesus wants us to understand that spiritual knowledge has a direct impact on our natural relationships. Did you hear that? We will not wade into the deep things of the Father until we learn to walk in forgiveness and practice forgiveness in our life. How can his will be done on earth as it is in heaven if we don't forgive? Because forgiveness is the will of Jesus is concerned with how we treat one another. Since creation, God has concerned himself in how we forgive and how we live together. And if we don't practice forgiveness, we won't be forgiven. We cannot fully experience what C.S. Lewis calls the deep magic, the deep spiritual things of God, the spirit knowledge, if we are unconcerned and walk in unforgiveness and bitterness. Forgiven people forgive others, and forgiven people demonstrate the grace of God, and forgiven people walk in the transformational power of prayer. And he says this, lead us not into temptation. I'm trying to hustle through because this is my intro. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, this is the prayer, God, don't let the trial be greater than I can handle. And if the trial is greater than I can handle, walk with me and keep me in the midst of it and don't let temptation be my defeat. And God promises that it will not be, but that he will always provide a way of what? Escape. He will deliver us from evil. He will deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is God delivering us from the evil one. Do not let Satan have the last word Satan does not get the last word. God, through Jesus, is delivering us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's all about the Father. It's all about his kingdom, his glory, his power, and we worship you. And then he says, amen, and that just means let it be. Let it be. See, as the disciples, they learned how to access this deep, deep spiritual knowledge through prayer. Again, I want to quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He says that prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes people. It's this deep spiritual knowledge that changes us. 
changes our heart, changes our behavior. Connecting with God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit through prayer changes us. So Jesus has just taught them how to pray, how, how to pray, and Jesus is going to give them a parable about prayer now. All right, that was my intro. Jesus is going to give them a, a, a parable now about prayer. So if you've got your Bibles open, it's Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 5. And this is kind of a weird, weird story when you, just, when you just read it, right? So he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. to the to the friend at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. And then he'll answer from inside and say, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children and I have gone to bed, I can't get up to give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So he's knocking on the door of his friend because, because he has a friend that his other friend doesn't know, but the friend that he has it needs, needs some, some food. And so his friend that is in the bed at midnight, he says, Jesus says he didn't, give him the bread because he was his friend. He gave him the bread because of his shameless boldness. Let me ask you this morning, do you have the kind of shameless boldness that would have you knocking on the door of a friend's house at midnight to get bread for someone your friend doesn't even know? I mean, seriously, that's, that's a boldness, right? That's confidence in the character of your friend. That's trust in the character of your friend, the kindness of your friend, and the fact that your friend has provision that you don't have. I mean, some friends, some friends would be so close that they might say, man, go home. I'll give you bread in the morning. You don't need no bread right now. That's how good of friends they'd be. But it wasn't the friendship that caused this newly awakened friend to give bread. It was the shameless boldness of his friend. This man at midnight trusted in the character of his friend. And this sleeping friend understood that his friend wouldn't be knocking at midnight if it wasn't important to him. Hear me this morning, church. Some of you are knocking at midnight. Some of us are knocking at midnight. Some of us have shown up to the house of the Lord. Some of us have shown up to the door of the kingdom and it is midnight and we are knocking and we are knocking and we are knocking at midnight. It is dark, it is hopeless, the situation is, is, is dire and we have shown up and we are knocking at midnight because there's nowhere else to go. There's no other source of bread. There's no other person you can trust. There's no other answer. There's no other hope. There's no other power. There's no other one who can meet your there's no other one who can deliver. There's no other one who can give you peace. There's no other one who can heal you. No other one who can speak truth over you. There's no doctor, no philosopher, no employer, no friend. There's no politician. There's no one who can meet your need like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Nobody like Jesus. And you are knocking at midnight. 
which is delight to answer. So you knock with shameless boldness. It's midnight and can't nobody meet your need like Jesus. It may be midnight, but you serve a God who doesn't have to be awakened. It may be midnight, but you serve a God who does not stress. It may be midnight, but you serve a
to keep knocking, you've got to keep seeking, you've got to keep asking, because sometimes even good and perfect gifts are received through struggle and trial. Sometimes good and perfect gifts are received through struggle and trial. Good and perfect gifts from God reveal in us the perfection of his unchanging nature. He is always good, he is always perfect, and his gifts that he gives to his children are always good and always perfect. They're not always comfortable, they're not always easy, they're not always what we want to do or what we want to receive, but they are always good and they are always perfect and they are always perfecting in us the glory that is to be revealed in us when Jesus returns. They are always conforming us into the image of Christ Jesus. So that's what we're asking for. How often do we ask? Well, we ask until we have an answer. That's what Jesus said. You're knocking at midnight, you keep knocking, you keep asking, you keep seeking. Those words in the, in, in the Greek, literally, they just keep, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Keep on, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Hear me, church, don't stop. You're about ready to give up. You don't think the answer's coming. You don't think the king is coming to the door. Do not stop knocking. until we have an answer. Until God answers, you got to hold on. There's always an answer. He is not silent. He will answer. Ask, seek, and knock, church. Continual communication with the Father. You are continually asking and seeking and knocking on the kingdom of heaven. It took Moses years to receive the fulfillment of the answer. Joseph in prison for years before he's released and becomes the second in command. We cannot, church, you cannot, we cannot give up just because we don't see the answer when we first knock. If God has said he would do it, he will. Anybody? If God said he will do it, he will. He will do it. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Unless you have clarity from God that the answer is no, don't give up. Unless he's answered the door and said, And even that is a good and perfect answer because God knows what you have need of before you even ask. And if you don't need it, why would he give it to you? If it ain't good for you, why would he give it to you? If it ain't his perfect will, why would he give it to you? You wouldn't give it to your children. You wouldn't give it to your son or your daughter. If they asked for a steak or an egg, you wouldn't give them a steak.
stole it and it's just there I mean kids have this wonder and amazement if presents can show up under a tree anything is possible wants us to be amazed like a child at God. Just to be in wonder of what God can do and, and who God is and all that there is about God. We're just in amazement and wonder that this creator would love us and would, would, would make himself for us and would, would, would take on flesh so that we could know him. This God that we are in wonder and awe over has made himself known to us. Jesus just wants us to be in awe and in, 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 in wonder and awe of God, this child in Bethlehem. Believing that even the craziest things are possible with God. The craziest things like your past forgiven. The craziest things like the wrongs that you, you had done in the past made right. 
the craziest things like your sin covered and atoned for, the craziest things like addictions broken, the craziest things like sickness healed, the craziest things like every tear wiped away, the craziest things like marriages restored, the craziest things like our sons and daughters coming home and walking with God, the craziest things we're in awe about.
Stay here until we trust God with 